We are so excited that Grubbly Farms has a starter grower feed. They've introduced Grubbly Little Pecks for chicks aged 0 to 20 weeks. Grubbly Farms is thrilled to introduce the first ever starter grower feed that mimics a chicken's natural diet using insects and plants. Unlike other feeds, every peck is purposefully packed with sustainably grown grub protein and farm fresh ingredients that chickens naturally love. We love feeding our chicks the way nature intended, with grubs, plants, vitamins, minerals, and probiotics to help them grow strong, healthy, and happy. And you can too. This feed is non-medicated, corn-free, soy-free, and fish-free, and it's also non-GMO. Get this delivered to your door just in time for your new flock members. Go to grublyfarms.com and use code FARM15 to get 15% off your first order. Welcome to We Drink and We Farm Things. This is the farm comedy podcast that is an adult happy hour for the farming community. We drink adult beverages, talk about the ups and downs of farming things, and give zero clucks about not having the perfect farm life. We keep it real with you and share the mistakes we've made and what we've learned so you can feel less alone in this farm thing. We drink things, we farm things, we drink and farm things. Oh, hey there, Sam. Oh, hey there, Bev. What you drinking today? I opened a brew dog pride and it is a passion fruit sour beer Ooh, ah, yeah i'm gonna be drinking a lot of brew dogs on the podcast coming up because i recently went there and stocked up and they have all sorts of cool stuff (laughs) isn't that the place with the hotel too it is it is the place with the hotel and they have cauliflower wings which oh yeah you told me about those yeah they're amazing (laughs) (laughs) oh that just sounds like a place where we need to like go and do things yeah we need like Like, together (laughs) a field trip there yes (laughs) because i think when i've looked at it online before the rooms have like a fridge in the shower so you can have shower beers and i'm just like this is like an adult candy land like (laughs) feels like a real vacation doesn't it yes So what are you drinking over there? So I am drinking a lavender mojito Mm. with lavender simple syrup that I made and mint from my garden. So it feels very like Simple Goodness Sisters-esque inspired to me or maybe like the drinking with chickens because it's like I really actually put effort into (laughs) doing a drink for the show which is not something I normally do oh I love it it sounds delicious very summery and very crafty and it's very refreshing too it's but these mojitos like even just the regular kind with just regular simple syrup are super dangerous because you don't know what's happening when you drink it and then all of a sudden you're like wow I'm really relaxed Uh, I love it that's hilarious yeah that is exactly what happens Mm -hmm. I wanted to add as well that we will link the recipe that I used for this in the show notes too because it was super easy but I will say you have to watch your lime juice to lavender syrup ratio because one or the other can get out of balance really easily so it's one of those that you kind of want to taste test as you're making it 
Our drink peep this episode is our friend and helper extraordinaire, Katie, (laughs) over at Sticky Holler Farm. So cheers, lady. Cheers. I mean, really, what was what was life like before we had Katie helping us? Not good. No. (laughs) I feel like she probably offloaded a lot of the stuff that you had to deal with. Actually, I know she did. But for me, personally, I just like that it feels like we have an extra friend on the podcast. And I feel like I know her even better now. Like, when I watch her Instagram stories. So I'm probably, like, talking to her way too much. So I probably... (laughs) I hope I'm not, you know, annoying our new friend. But just... (laughs) All that to say I'm super grateful that she's still with us. Oh, me too. Me too. (laughs) All right. On today's episode, we're going to talk about biosecurity screening for goats. Yay. Which, I mean, yay is because this is super important. And, like, I don't know a lot about it. I don't do this yet. I don't know if I will. But it's a super important thing to think about. Especially if you have goats. Yeah. Or any kind of animals, really. Yeah, it's true. Goats are not the only animals that you can have biosecurity testing done on. But we're going to talk about goats specifically because that's what I did recently. So it's the thing that I can speak on and have some experience now. And before we get started, we do have two episodes where we have talked about goat biosecurity screening before, but not like as a main focus of an episode. And the first one is episode 44, and it's called Yonis. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) There'll be a link to that in the show notes. And then the next one was episode 46, Sticking Things into Living Beings. And it is my story (laughs) of trying to draw blood myself for the first time. (laughs) I mean, I haven't tried to draw blood, but just attempting to give just shots. I mean, it's a lot, people. (laughs) And I commend anybody that, you know, can do that with ease. Me too. Me too. (laughs) (laughs) So in today's episode, we'll go over the diseases that are typically tested for in a goat biosecurity panel. We'll talk about how I went about doing this for this round. And we'll also talk about how to get the samples like prepped for the lab and sending them off and all of that stuff because there's a lot of steps and it's not like super intuitive I guess (laughs) yeah for sure I think this is gonna be really helpful to a lot of people so I'm excited so there'll be links to some of the articles that we reference in this episode they will be in the show notes but some of them were like yonis.org the Merck vet manual the goats extension.org and sage ag lab all right so biosecurity screening is just testing your animals for known chronic livestock diseases So it's pretty self-explanatory. And like we mentioned earlier, many species of livestock have biosecurity testing available. And today we're focusing on goats. And the four diseases that a goat biosecurity panel focuses on are yonis, CL, CAE, and Q fever. That was like a lot of alphabet soup there. (laughs) So... (laughs) 
Yeah. So, but don't worry. We're going to get into what each of those are at a high level so you guys can understand what that all means. Yeah. <laughs> so the first one is Yonis, which is spelled like John's with an E at the end. So I was always calling it Johans, you know, like it was Amish. <laughs> <laughs> but it is pronounced Yonis. And it is a paratuberculosis disease, which that is another name for yonis. So if you hear yonis or paratuberculosis, those are the same thing. And it is named after a German veterinarian. And this gastrointestinal disease is fatal and was first found in a dairy cow in 1895. And it's caused by a bacterium named Mycobacterium avium, and the subspecies is paratuberculosis, which is actually abbreviated MAP, M-A-P, and that's what causes Yoni's disease. And this infection happens in the first few months of a goat's life. But the thing about yonis that is particularly scary is that a goat that has yonis may actually stay healthy for a really long time and not show any symptoms of it. So that's why you do biosecurity testing for diseases like these, because you could have it in your herd and not know. And then you would like take them to the fair or take them to a show or maybe sell one to another farm. And then you'd be spreading disease unknowingly, which would be a big bummer. The time when a disease isn't showing is called the incubation period. And it's important to know that MAP infections are very, very contagious. And there's like a whole family of infections that are covered under this MAP infections. And Yoni's is just one of them. All right. The next one is CL, which is Cassius lymphonditis. Did I... Did I nail that? Was I close? Yeah. Oh, yeah, you nailed that. Okay, but so I don't screw it up. I'm just going <laughs> to refer to it as CL from here on out. And this is a chronic contagious disease caused by the bacterium Corneum bacterium pseudotuberculosis. Nailed it. Whew. All right, two for two. Although prevalence of CL varies by region and country, it is found worldwide and is a major concern for small ruminant producers in North America. This disease is characterized by abscess formation in or near the peripheral lymph nodes or within internal organs and lymph nodes. So there's both an external and an internal form for this disease. One of the most common ways CL can be introduced into a previously clean herd or flock or reintroduced to one in which CL has been reduced or eliminated is through the addition of replacement stock. So just bringing a new animal onto your farm. Often animals from other farms that are asymptomatic on arrival are incubating the disease and then manifest infection within weeks to months later. So it's another one of those tricky ones that might be hiding so it's not so obvious if it exists in the animal. Yeah, there's a pattern here. Yeah. <laughs> the next one is CAE, which is caprine arthritis encephalitis, and it is a contagious viral disease in goats. And it's usually spread from mother to kid through the ingestion of the colostrum or the milk. 
And it can also be spread amongst your adult goats through contact with body secretions, including blood and feces of infected goats. So, ugh. Yes. Indeed. (laughs) There are five major forms of CAE in goats. There's the arthritis, the encephalitis, which is inflammation of the brain, pneumonia, mastitis, and chronic wasting. So this is the one that's like the chronic wasting disease that deer can get. And yeah, yucky, huh? Mm Mm-hmm. And this disease is found in North America, Europe, Africa, Australia, and New Zealand. So it is spread far and wide. All right. And the last one is Q fever. And Q fever results from infection in coxial... Coxial... (laughs) Coxial... Cox... I'm just saying cox at this point. (laughs) Um, Coxiella brunetti. I did not nail that one. That's okay. I think people will get it. Yeah, definitely click on the article if you're interested in the scientific names. This is an unusual spore-like organism that is highly resistant to environmental conditions. It is found worldwide, except in New Zealand, and transmitted to humans and other animals by aerosol, direct contact with reproductive discharges, or infected milk. And ticks can spread infection among ruminants and people. So that one sounds super fun. Yeah, that's the only disease on this list that's zoonotic, which means that it can spread from animals to people. And those diseases are always just kind of a little extra scary. (laughs) Yeah, always, definitely. But I think it's important to remind people that those things are out there. And that's why you got to be really careful and wash your hands and use gloves when you're doing super weird things with your animals. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> true, super true. And fun fact, Q fever was actually like newly added to the panel that I run for my goats. When I ran last year, Q fever wasn't an option on at the lab that I used or the form that I used, or at least it wasn't one that was like included in the big panel. It was just those main three and then Q fever was added. So I don't know what that necessarily means for Q fever. But it's just possible that they added it because they thought, hey, this might be a good one to test for regularly also. Today's episode is sponsored in part by Sweeter Heater. Sweeter Heater is a safer alternative to heat lamps. Their products provide a safe, soft, gentle infrared radiant heat to your new poultry friends. Sweeter Heater has no hotspots and develops a uniform heat pattern. It's designed to warm the animal, not the environment, and is fully adjustable to maintain the ideal comfort level for your choice in baby poultry. So upgrade your feathered friends to Sweeter Heater. Go to SweeterHeater.com and use code DRINKANDFARM to get 15% off one or more heaters. That's SweeterHeater.com with code DRINKANDFARM, all lowercase. All right, so speaking of testing... How does that all work? Oh, testing is fun. The only way to test for all of these diseases at once in an easy fashion is by drawing blood from each member of your goat herd straight from the jugular vein. Well, that makes me a little queasy just thinking about it. (laughs) Right? (laughs) I'm not a fan of needles. And for some reason, the word jugular just kind of makes me... (laughs) Well, it's a little scary. (laughs) Yeah. 
Yeah. So you have a couple options for drawing the blood. You can use a one inch 20 gauge needle and a syringe, or you can use a vacuum tube that has the needle attached. And a shield is highly recommended. They don't all come with shields, but you're doing a vacuum tube in the jugular without a shield. It's extremely messy. And I can tell you from experience that this is correct. Oh, gosh. (laughs) But this last time that I did the blood jaws, I actually had a vet do it. So I was just the person holding the goats and the vet was the person pulling the blood, which made it so much easier. Yeah. (laughs) I would do the same exact thing. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I mean, I hope to learn to draw the blood eventually because like as I do more and more things, I just you get more and more comfortable with it. But this is one of those things. And now my herd has grown so fast that like doing nine goats all at once is just kind of a lot. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. also when you're drawing blood, like whether you're using a syringe or a vacuum tube and the syringe is the much easier one for newbies, by the way, if you haven't done this before and want to try it yourself, go for the syringe option before the vacuum tube one but you have to move the needle around at the jugular vein site to like get it to start flowing so like you'll feel it and then you'll insert and it won't always flow right away so you'll be like kind of digging around in there with it Mm. (laughs) which is a little scary yeah just a little Yeah, but the vet did it, like, without flinching. No problem. And I don't know what it normally costs, I'll swear, but for me, she came out and it was $95 to do the nine goats. And it took us about two hours, but we had some technical difficulties when we first started off. It took us a little bit to get into a groove to, like, figure out who was going to hold what, where, and, like, my goats aren't exactly trained or well-behaved. Behaved. So the whole like haltering them and walking them, you know, like to the milk stand and getting them all set up and stuff kind of there was like a learning curve involved. And now we've done it. So I think the next time is going to be like super fast. And the thing about drawing blood, too, is even though you're using a milk stand, like she couldn't like you can't get the right angle on the jugular with your goat's head in the milk stand facing down, oh, eating from the bucket. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, one person stands next to them and kind of holds their head like up, like exposing the jugular while the other person goes around and like pulls the blood. So it's not like you don't really have your goat restrained super well. It's restrained by human power, not the milking stand during this process. (laughs) (laughs) Makes sense. Yeah. I was thinking about that. I was like, how are you like wrangling them and then keeping them in one spot and it sounds like it almost just has to be like brute force and like goats don't like to be restrained (laughs) so Mm -mm. oh well I I can see why it took some time to get that done and I think that your goats eventually like get trained to do it after you do it often enough because I have seen videos of people just tying their goat to a fence and then just drawing the blood by themselves without a helper like Mandy yeah Mandy from Wild Oak Farms can like totally do it Mm -hmm. (laughs) that was not what it looked like in my barn (laughs) while we were drawing blood (laughs) 
And in fact, I totally got stabbed by a vacuum tube, thankfully. My goats were clean. (laughs) Yes. So drawing the blood from your goats is also known as bleeding them. So if you hear somebody say, I'm going to go bleed my goats, that's what they mean. (laughs) That's dark. I'm sorry. (laughs) I'm going to go bleed my goats. It reminds me of some kind of like Old Testament sacrifice happening. Like I'm going to go bleed my goats. (laughs) (laughs) I hadn't thought of it that way. It totally does. (sighs) Okay. Anyways. And you don't typically bleed goat kids that are under six months of age because they can have some false positives on some of the diseases if their dam had it at one time or was vaccinated for it. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. And in fact, my vet was really careful to tell me that because I made the decision to go ahead and bleed the buckling kids because I didn't want to have her out twice if I didn't have to. Mm -hmm. And she let me know that if we got a positive result back, don't do anything yet. Like they don't need to be cold or anything. We Mm -hmm. just continue to keep them separate from the herd like they are because they're both in a barn stall and have not been anywhere near the other goats except like maybe the fence line to say hi. Mm Mm-hmm keep them separate. And then we will retest after they're six months of age. And then if we get a positive from there, then we talk about whether or not it's a disease that can be treated or whether it's time to call and get a different buck right. and then test everybody again to make sure it didn't spread and all of that. But everyone came back clean. So yay. yay. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. And you know, like shipping the samples and stuff is really expensive. So if you want to make the decision to do it all at once, like I totally back that and understand it, like even if they're under six months. But it's good that you know that information. So if you do get a positive result, you don't go cull kids that don't need it. (laughs) Right, right. Or get super upset about it for sure. Yeah, definitely. So if you use a syringe to bleed your goats, you will transfer the blood to a red-topped vacuum tube for the lab. You won't send it in the syringe. And if you use Sage Ag Labs, which is the lab that I use, and there will be a link to it in the show notes, make sure that you definitely use the red tops because I got a wrist slap for using white top tubes. (laughs) Why is that? Do you know? So I have no idea. The tube color must mean something in the medical field that I'm not aware of is my guess. But the white top tubes were what the vet brought. So that's what she usually draws the blood with. And I have red top tubes here, but vacuum tubes expire and mine had expired. (laughs) Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. So before our next, I guess, bleeding party, for lack of a better word, (laughs) I will order more red top tubes for sure. (laughs) Oh, and very important, use a new needle and new syringe for each animal in your herd when you draw blood. I know it sounds obvious, but like, you know, we're frugal people. Mm -hmm. So sometimes you might think like, oh, let's just reuse this. But if one of your goats is positive, then it will show positive for all of the other goats that had their blood in that tube. (laughs) (laughs) Not to mention you may spread it that way if someone is positive. So like, yeah, there's all sorts of reasons to use a new needle. That and they get dull eventually. Like, Yeah. And that's not fun for anybody if you're trying to use adult needle. No, it's not fun for the goat. It's not fun for you. Mm-hmm. All right. So now you need to know where to send your red-topped blood samples. <laughs> <laughs> you will send them to any lab that does a goat biosecurity panel. Your state extension office probably does them, so that's a good place to start. There are also lots of private labs to choose from that do it, and I use Sage Ag Labs. And the reason I went with them is because they're easy. They were cheaper than my state extension Mm -hmm. office. I could pay online, so I didn't have to mail them a check. 
And they were also super good about providing the easy like packing instructions and like how to do everything because not every lab is quite like as instructive. So you're messing with blood tubes. You don't want to have to do it again. (laughs) And they also sent the results within like two weeks, which I thought was pretty fast. I mean, I was happy. Yeah. I mean, for something that's going through the mail, that is pretty fast. Mm-hmm. Well, it gets to them really fast, and I'll tell you why in just a second. <laughs> <laughs> so once you bleed your goats and have everything in the tubes, you need to make sure that you refrigerate your tubes if you're doing a disease panel, because the blood has to stay cold in order for the sample to be good. So don't leave them out in the barn or out at room temperature because you won't be able to do your blood panel. And this is not true for pregnancy tests, though. If you pull blood for a pregnancy test, it can be stored at room temperature. So two different styles of blood tests. Interesting. You want to make sure that you have marked each tube with the animal's name and their tattoo number if they have it, because you want to keep the blood samples separate and you want to know whose blood sample is whose. And when you package your tubes, you'll rubber band them in groups of 10. I only have nine goats, so I got to do it in just one big bundle. And then you will wrap the bundles of blood tubes with a ridiculous amount of paper towels because if they break in the mail, you want the paper towels to soak up the blood and not come leaking out of your package. (laughs) Oh, yeah, that would be a little (laughs) traumatic for the, the person delivering that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just a little. <laughs> and then you will put the paper towel wrapped bundles into Ziploc bags and seal them and put a biohazard symbol inside the bag just so that the person opening the package knows that there's blood inside those sealed Ziploc bags. And then you will place the bag in with cooler packs, no frozen water, because if it melts, you will have a wet soaking Mm. package Mm -hmm. so it needs to be like those i didn't have disposable cooler packs so i just sent jared a text and told him he needed to buy new freezer packs next time he was at a store that had them (laughs) (laughs) and i put in some of our good ones because like at this point i was like a hundred bucks in for the vet 200 and something bucks in for the lab testing and 50 bucks in for the shipping so i was like well what's a five (laughs) dollar you know (laughs) cooler pack yeah (laughs) And then you'll also include the form that you need so that you tell them what you're testing for fully filled out with your order and payment info in it or proof of your online payment. And you'll seal all of that in another Ziploc. And that's so that if the blood breaks and then actually like breaches the other, the Ziploc bag goes in, <laughs> they know who to call to tell them that their blood sample didn't make it. <laughs> And you just want to make sure that your box is well insulated and padded. I actually, so I didn't have a cooler bag. If I'd had like one of those like HelloFresh or Misfit, you know, market bags, I would have totally wrapped everything in one of those because that would have helped keep the cooler packs like frozen longer. But I used the bubble envelopes from Amazon and just like lined a whole box in them like with multiple layers and then folded it all over. So it was like a makeshift like thermos cooler thing nice (laughs) and you will want to ship it usps overnight they say do not ship blood samples by usps without overnight because usps doesn't guarantee it and if it doesn't make it and everything's warm all of that hard work and money is down the drain or you can send it by fedex or ups today because they guarantee it within two days so your sample should still show up cold 
The cost to test for all four diseases was $23 per goat from Sage Ag Lab. So it was reasonable for the nine goats, but like when you start getting up there in numbers and you're doing it every year, mm-hmm. like that really starts to add up. Right. Real fast. Like if they can, the amount of goats that I have, <laughs> like the adults, they're like, I mean, it's going to be like 13 soon, but yeah, that's a lot. <laughs> yeah. It gets spendy really fast, which is why it's really important to talk about like who should test their herds and how often, because not everybody really needs to test every year in my opinion. The typical testing cycle is every 12 months. And I did it in June this year because I just needed to get it done because I hadn't done it yet this year. But I'm actually planning to do it next year in the winter after the breeding for like February through April kidding has happened. Because what I'm going to do is I'll do my biosecurity panel, but then I'll also do the pregnancy tests at the same time on the female goats. So it's like two blood tests, one blood vial, I guess. (laughs) Ta-da. I like that. That's a really good idea. Yeah. Um, Plus, it's colder, so I don't have to worry so much about them showing up cold. Like, Mm -hmm. oh, my God. It was like a heat wave the week that I sent my box out. I felt really silly (laughs) sending it in the summertime. (laughs) And you should test your herd, though, if you're wondering, like, whether or not you should be a person that tests us. You should test your herd if you want to sell your goats as coming from a certified, clean, tested herd with proof for prospective buyers. So if that's something that's important to you, you'll want to test your herd before you sell just so that you can tell people that. If you want to take your goats to the fair or the show, you should probably test your herd because you want to make sure that you're not bringing disease with you. And you also want to make sure that you didn't bring any disease back Mm. when you return. If you don't maintain a closed herd and want to ensure that your goats have remained disease-free, you'll want to test. When you take your goats for breeding off-farm or you allow others to bring their goats to your farm for breeding, this would be like an open herd situation. So that might be a good idea to test. And you'll want to make sure that you get proof from the people bringing their goats to you and to the places that you're bringing your goats that everybody's clean because that helps keep the disease out. Another reason why you might test is if you've added new herd members from another farm that year and you want to make sure that they're disease-free. Also, if any herd member shows symptoms of one of these diseases, but a lot of them are symptom-free until they aren't. So, yeah, I mean, I think that choosing to test just kind of depends on, you know, what you do with your goats, basically. Because if you maintain a closed herd, like you're not bringing in goats from other people's herds you probably really don't need to test, you know, because you've got a closed herd. So it's not likely that anybody's picked up anything. Right. But again, that whole, like, if you're selling your goats, especially if they're registered, like, being able to offer that tested herd proof that they're clean, like, that's huge for people, too. Especially if they're going to sink, like, you know, like $400, $500 into a goat that they're buying from you. Like, then it's probably worth the investment. <laughs> yeah, I tallied it and I spent about 350 bucks to test all nine goats. So I am going to have to sell some kids this season, whether I want to or not. <laughs> so are you keeping all of the ones that you had this year? So I actually didn't have any this year. Oh, sorry. I mean, the ones that you had originally, like your first ones. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, I guess so. Every now and then, because I've joined all those Facebook groups and like we've talked about like how to sell and stuff. So I'm like, I should go ahead and just sell Bodhi because mm. I don't really need him. But gosh, he's so cute and friendly. He is. And I like him. <laughs> and you know what, Bev? You are a joy farmer. And if he brings you joy, you keep him. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's kind of what I figured. So for now, I'm going to keep him. But, you know, like if we start running into like a space situation yeah. or he starts causing any issues like I I kind of suspect that someone is still nursing on Tonks probably and it's probably <laughs> him so if I find that out then he has to go because like I can't break him of it at this point well I will say though I did have that same issue but once the dough dropped more kids that broke that issue. Oh, okay. Good to know. You just have to watch it because or separate the mama a couple weeks before she gives birth because if he or one of the other goats is stealing colostrum, that's going to be a problem for the new kid. So you just have to make oh. sure you separate mom like a week or two before she drops her kids. So it's possible for that to break. Okay, good to know. I'm, I'm instilling some hope into you. But <laughs> <laughs> especially if you keep mom and baby separated for like, you know, I keep mine separated for like 90% of the time for the first eight weeks, just to make okay. sure everybody's getting food and water and everything they need and not getting bullied. So if you can do that kind of setup, it's absolutely going to break them. But I know that's not possible or reasonable for everybody to do. Yeah, one other idea I had was to put him in with the bucklings. So he Ooh. would be like the bucklings friend. And I, I still might do that. But I'm not going to lie. I feel a little guilty putting it weather in with two bucklings because he's going to get like totally harassed all the time. Yeah, he is. <laughs> but he's also bigger than them right now. So he can be the dominant one once I put them all together. Yeah. And then maybe they'll leave him alone because he is like twice their size right now. So there's that. And you might be able to rotate where he hangs out too. Because we've kind of done that a few times where we put our big, huge goat that we call a cow. He's like 140 <laughs> pounds. Like he's just, his genetics just make him a little porker. Oh, yeah. So he's been in with them, with the bucks before. But during rut season, when it's just constant headbutting, we took him out of there. So he might be able to, he could be like a, a floater. He'll go back and forth. <laughs> Yeah, that's a good idea. And, you know, what's kind of cool about having a floater, too, it's a little off topic, but maybe not because, you know, we're talking about disease testing so you can yeah. breed your goats. If you have a floater, he is in with the bucks getting all of the yummy buck perfume all over him. <laughs> and then you put him in with your does and he'll throw all the does into heat. So, hey, look at that. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody has a job. Yes. <laughs> What is that? So would that make him like the fluffer? Yeah, that well, kind of, sort of, I guess so. Or the foreplay? Yeah, something like that. All right, before this gets any more weird, I guess we can jump right into We Can't Even Corner. Yeah, let's do it. So Sam, what is your can't even? So this will drop, I believe, on July 9th, which means we are only two days away from Shark Week on the Discovery Channel. I know all these other networks are trying to pretend like they're doing their Shark Week, but Discovery Channel is where it's at. <laughs> so that's the one I go with. That is my personal preference. So in honor of that, I have an article from the Daily Mail that talks about this paraglider 
that had a shark leap out of the water and tear out chunks of his foot. Oh my gosh. So wait, dude was not in the water and shark exited the water to get him? Yeah. So sharks can breach the water. So they jump up and try to like, maybe they're attacking something on the surface of the water or trying to go after a bird or something. I don't know, but they can like launch their bodies out of the water. And this, this happened in uh, the Red Sea. So a Jordanian man was parasailing. So in the pictures, he's like, you know, probably a couple feet above the water. They haven't like quite gotten a lot of speed, it looks like. <laughs> but he's a couple of feet above the water with his friend. And this little shark just decides to attack him, jumps out of the water, grabs his foot, and severs several tendons, <gasps> as well as badly tore one of the muscles in his foot. Aww. Yeah, so he, like, bit off a section of this guy's foot. Obviously, the guy was hospitalized, but apparently in this part of the Red Sea, sharks aren't super common. So this is kind of like a freak accident situation. And there are videos and some pictures if you're interested in seeing it. It's kind of blurry, so it's not super graphic, but you can get an idea of, like, what happened a little better if you take a look at those. So, yeah, be safe in the water this summer as things are heating up because you never know what's in the ocean. Like, the ocean is actually, like, a super scary place because we, like, don't know very much about it when it comes down to it. And there are all kind of things in there that are just minding their own business. And if you get in their space, they're going to try to defend their space and they might bite your foot off. I mean, that feels fair, right? Yeah. I mean, I don't like my space invaded, so I get it. (laughs) (laughs) Especially after being, like, quarantined for so long. Like, it like had a psychological effect on me where I like extra don't trust strangers. So if the sharks really didn't see anybody last year either, maybe they're just feeling the same way that I am. <laughs> yeah, they're like, what? where did all these people come from? I thought you were gone. <laughs> <laughs> we were hoping that you all had extinct. Yes. <laughs> I'm going to make sure you leave. <laughs> <laughs> Effective. Effective. Yes. <laughs> so what's your kit even this week? All right. I jumped on the Shark Week bandwagon with you. Woo! And this is an article from the LA Times, and it's a great white shark bites a man off the California coast. Ooh. Yeah. And I'm really bummed. I couldn't find the original article that I had read about this because there's like so much more detail than this one actually gives. And I'll try to paraphrase some of it. But in a nutshell, a great white shark bit a swimmer off the San Francisco Bay Area coast, and he was hospitalized in serious condition. And what happened was he was in the ocean crab diving, and he said he just felt a sharp pain in his leg and looked down and saw a great white shark. (laughs) Could you imagine? I think I would shit myself. I mean, I think I would just die of a heart attack. Like, how do you not, like... I mean, he's crab diving, so you could do that free diving or scuba diving. But, like, if you're scubaing, I'd be afraid I'd spit the thing out and then breathe in a bunch of water. Oh, yeah. And if you're free diving, I'd be afraid that I would just panic and breathe in all the water. Right. So either way. <laughs> either way, you're done, so. <laughs> uh, pretty much. 
So he says he saw the shark, felt the pain, and got on shore. And he was able to call for help because I guess his wetsuit was like filling up with blood. So he was worried that like a really serious artery had been severed in his leg. But that was not the case. It was just he was really bloody. And then he went to the hospital and he's going to make a full recovery, which is pretty cool. Oh, wow. And he's got an amazing story to tell. Yeah, pretty much. And it was really funny. In the original article that I read, they asked him if he would go back to dive for crabs again. And he was like, oh, yeah, I'll totally do it again. Like, this is their space in their home. And I'm just a visitor here. So, (laughs) like, you know, I'm going to go ahead and still do it. And I'll just be more careful and look more carefully for sharks. (laughs) Wow. See, I don't know if I would have the same attitude. So, Props to him. Like, you never know until you're, like, in that situation. But Yeah, super true. Well, and I was trying to tell what country the guy was from. I think he was Polish or Russian. So, you know, he just kind of had that, like, air to him. Like, yeah, things happen. (laughs) You know, you just got to keep going. (laughs) (laughs) Now I'm just thinking of all that happening in a really fun accent and it makes the story like 20 times better oh yeah it totally did if I could have done it I would have but accents are just not my jam (laughs) (laughs) they are kind of tricky especially something like a Russian accent yes Mm -hmm. (laughs) all right so if you guys have any can't evens that you want to share with us please drop those in our Facebook group or you can email them to us at drinkandfarm at gmail.com and be sure and leave us a review We'll read one Apple podcast review per week on the show. And when we read your review, you'll get entered into a drawing for an exclusive coffee mug that is not and will never be in the shop. And we got the feedback back from Steph Polachek, and she loved her mug. So yay, you want this mug, don't miss it. (laughs) Yes. All right. So this week's review is from Karen at Wolf Creek Family Farm over on Instagram. And the title is, These Ladies Are the Straight Poop. Woohoo! Which I will take as a compliment. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and she says, Downloaded iTunes just to leave this review, which shows me that a lot of effort was put in here. So thank you. She goes on to say, Started listening to Bev and Sam ages ago, and I can say the podcast and their stories of their farms. Just continue to improve like a fine wine. They keep it real with a straight scoop or poop about everything that's going on with their farms, whether it's good or bad. And that's the great thing about this podcast. These ladies aren't afraid to let it all hang out, which is super encouraging for people who sometimes feel like they're alone in the struggles that happen on a small farm. Their personalities and styles totally complement one another and have me cracking up on the regular. I look forward to every episode, and I know you will, too. Cheers, ladies. Cheers. Cheers. So nice. Yes. And fun fact, Karen is actually the host of the Just Grow Something podcast. So if you guys haven't listened to that yet, go listen to it. I think we've mentioned it multiple times Yeah, <laughs> on the podcast now. Because it's, it's a little newer, I think. Gosh, I think she's up to 29 episodes now, but I've basically binge listened to most of them now. So now it's like super in my head because she's <laughs> she's really knowledgeable about gardening and extremely helpful in that area. And so tis the season for like super garden knowledge. So go listen. <laughs> yeah. And I, once I figured out who she was, I followed her back and she's been super helpful because I've been dealing with squash vine borers and she gave me some other ideas 
on what I could do to protect my plants. So she's just super helpful and a really nice person that just shares the knowledge that she has. So she's our people. So it's mm-hmm. super neat to connect with her. And thank you again for leaving us that really kind review. And the winner for June's review of the month is whoever left the review, Ash Dash Lee. 76532 <laughs> over on Apple iTunes. So we read that review on episode 164. So it was the last episode. So if that is you, you can email at us, us at drinkinfarm@gmail.com or reach out to us on Instagram and we will send you that fabulous, fabulous mug that is not available in the shop. Oh, yeah. And you definitely want to message us and get the mug because it's super cool, super cute. And we send it to you for free. So I don't know how else to sell this mug. It's free. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, you and I don't even have one yet. That's how, like, new this design is. Oh, you're right. We totally don't. We'll have to order some for ourselves. (laughs) Fail. (laughs) Fail. Should we go, like, review the podcast ourselves? (laughs) <laughs> so that we can win our own mug, perhaps, perhaps. I'll leave a review. The audio quality on episode one is straight garbage. <laughs> one star. <laughs> I am my own worst critic. Oh, man. <laughs> All right. So we'll knock out some housekeeping really quick. We have a new series over on Patreon called Straight No Chaser. And this is only available to our patrons at the $5 level or above. So if you want to check that out, which I highly recommend it, go to patreon.com slash drink and farm. We share all kinds of cool stuff in there. And I'm like, we're in July right now, but we have ideas for August that we're super pumped about. So this will just be ongoing and it's a weekly series. So if you guys want more of us, Now you know how to do that. Yeah. And Patreon is a great way to support the work that we do Mm -hmm. on this podcast. We have a lot of fun while we record, but there's a lot of work that goes on behind the scenes. And you get to see some of it in the Patreon page. We like share the outtakes and some other stuff. But then we also did this new series, which we're really excited about because it's fun. It's short. You learn a lot in a short period of time. And gosh, how many episodes of that are released over there now? Seven or eight? So there's a lot to like binge on and catch up on. So good value too. (laughs) Yes. And while you're listening to this episode, if you haven't already, we would really appreciate if you hit the subscribe or follow button, whatever it's called on whatever platform you listen to, and actually download the episode when you listen. This helps us with sponsors and other people are more likely to find our podcast if you do that. So that's another great free way to support the podcast. And another free way to support the podcast is to share that you are listening to this episode over on Instagram in your stories and tag us at Drink and Farm. As a thank you, we send you a promo code just for this episode that'll give you a percentage off in our shop. And our July shirt of the month is in the shop now. And it's amazing. You want it. Oh, it's so pretty. I love it. Make sure that you look at the show notes today to find all the wonderful resources that we use to build today's episode. A survey that is totally anonymous that you can tell us how you think we're doing, all of our social media goodness, and that link to our merch shop. So that's it, guys. That's it. We hope you enjoyed this episode about biosecurity. Maybe you learned something, but you know, at least we hope you laughed a little bit. 
if nothing at all. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we laughed a lot. <laughs> we always do. Yes, we do. All right. So until next time. Drink. Farm. And, and give zero clucks. Bye, everyone. Bye. We drink things. We farm things. We drink and farm things. Caitlin Dubin, the host of the Rural Woman podcast, and Bev Ross, host of the Joy Farmer podcast, have teamed up to create Positively Farming Media. Positively Farming Media is a podcast hub that connects and cultivates growth-oriented farm and food storytellers. We host a mastermind mentoring group that fosters connection and collaboration between podcasters so you no longer have to produce your show within a silo. Each month in our member-only online community, new learning modules are released that are designed to increase your show's quality, listenership, and advertising opportunities. When you join today, you'll have access to the current month's modules and our previously released modules so you can start growing your show right away. Learn more and start building connections to fellow podcasters in the food and agriculture space at PositivelyFarmingMedia.com.